Good morning again, everyone. And if you have a Bible or device, I'd invite you to turn to James chapter 4. And again, if you're a guest, welcome here at Woodside. We are in a series called Living Out Your Faith in Relationships. It's near the back of your Bible, this letter that James wrote. He was a half-brother to Jesus, and uh, he did not believe in Jesus, that Jesus was the Son of God, until after he saw the risen Jesus, and he writes this letter about faith in Jesus. And he says, if you have a saving faith, it's going to be expressed in a living faith that if you understand who Jesus is and uh, what he wants to do in your life, uh, that that relationship, your union with Jesus, is going to affect everything else in your life, and it's going to affect your relationships as well. And so in this six-week series, we're looking at the letter of James, all of the times he talks about relationships and what real faith looks like in relationships. And today he's going to talk about learning how to move from relational conflict to relational harmony. Learning how to move from relational conflict to relational harmony. And so as we begin, I want to ask you today, is there any conflict going on in your life? Is it conflict in your marriage, conflict with a friend, conflict with the employer, conflict with an employee, conflict with a parent, conflict with a child? Anybody, should we just close in prayer? God, thank you. Okay. How many of you with conflict, you have thought this, oh, if God, you would just deliver me from this hard-to-love person or hard-to-love people and just transport me over into a community where everybody's easy to love. Anybody had that thought? Right? As a church, we want to get there, an easy-to-love community. But here's the reality as we begin to talk about conflict, is God works in conflict. He wants to change you. And today, may God speak to you about how to resolve conflict and move towards harmony. Because the reality is, the rest of your life, because you're living in a fallen world and you're flawed and other people are flawed, there's going to be times, because you still have a sin nature, even if you're a follower of Jesus, where your preferences and odds are going to butt up against someone else's and there's going to be conflict. So you've got to learn how to deal with it because you don't want to stay in this place where it's like everybody else's fault and you are just harboring resentment or pride or you're just angry. And uh, in our closest relationships, in marriage, it can so easily happen where small little conflicts aren't dealt with and responded to properly. Okay, what, what's a small conflict in marriage? Uh, where were the size of your television set? Is that good? Okay. Anybody? Okay. Where that little thing, and then they morph into larger conflicts. Where should we send our kids to school? Should we send them here, there? Should we homeschool? And then what can happen is in time, those large conflicts can create resentment, anger, where people just aren't talking to each other. So you've got to learn how to resolve it. God has something better for you. And if you will... Say to God, God, I want to take this posture into all my relationships. He will work in your life. When you have two people that assume the posture that James is going to teach about this morning, God can work. He can, re he can restore fractured relationships. But even if you're here and the person that, that uh, you're in conflict with 
isn't going to change or doesn't change, he still can work in your life to free you from this place of anger and frustration. So may God speak to you today. May you just say, God, I want to embrace what, what James is teaching, to, teaching us this morning. So here we go, moving from relational conflict to relational harmony. God wants that for you. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. James writes, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Now notice who he's writing this to, to Christians, fights and quarrels among you. Can you imagine 2,000 years ago there were Christians that fought each other and quarreled? Well, aren't we glad that we've moved on since then, right? What causes the fights and quarrels among you Christians, you followers of Jesus? And he's not talking about disagreements. As Christians, we can disagree but we disagree without fighting and quarreling. The two words fighting and quarreling have this idea of combat, of attacking. So as Christians, with other Christians, and even with the world, we can disagree, but we're not fighting and quarreling, attacking and accusing. So James is not talking about disagreements here. He's talking about fighting and quarreling. And then he begins with these diagnostic questions. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Look what he says. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? We have the tendency to point the finger. We have the tendency to say the problem is out there. The, the reason we're having conflict is because you don't know my brother-in-law. He's a very annoying person. You don't know my mother. I'm 40 years old and she's still bossing me around. You don't know this person at school. He lies about me. You don't know and we always say the problem is out there. And James, like a doctor, diagnosing the problem says, no, it's not out there. It's in here. It's in your heart. He's like a doctor. You go to the doctor and you've got pain and you say, uh, I've got this pain, I think it's because I'm just tired. You don't expect the doctor to say, oh, well, here's two extra strength Tylenol. You want him to ask you some questions because maybe your pain is coming from a tumor or something like that. It's deeper. There's a root cause. And James is saying the root cause of conflict is not out there. It's in here. And it's interesting, he doesn't tell us what the fighting and quarreling is about, the nature of it. He doesn't tell us who... who what's involved. Here's why. Because the issue that you're fighting and quarreling about really isn't the issue. Did you get that? The issue that you're fighting, so mass, non-mass, uh, I don't know what, do we got another current issue coming up pretty soon? There'll be one pretty soon, right? But that issue isn't the issue. There's something deeper, and the issue, the problem the root cause is inside of you and me. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? He goes on, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Now, he's talking, he's not saying they literally were killing each other, but the, he's using it figuratively, and that these desires, they can lead us to do things and say things we shouldn't do, to kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. The reason you're angry and upset 
and mad with the other person is not because of, uh, uh, the root cause is not with them, it's with you. And what is it? Because you're not getting what you want. Have you ever said that? I'm not getting what I want. I've got this desire, and you're not meeting it. In marriage, for example, the problems can be so complex. Where a couple will say, how do we ever get to this place? How did we end up here where we're not talking to each other? James says, it may seem complicated, but actually it's pretty simple. You're not getting what you want, and you're not getting what you want. So you fight and quarrel. Friends, that's eye-opening. Okay, what is it? Because in any relationship you come to, you have expectations, the other person has expectations. What is it that you're not getting? So if you're married, uh, the husband, what is it you're expecting of your wife? Wife, what are you expecting of your husband? Friends, what are you expecting of this friend and that friend? Employer, employee, what are you expecting? It's helpful to understand that because it's when you can diagnose and say, this is not what I'm getting, then you're able to move forward. You're able to move from the conflict rather than just like he said, she said, it's just, here's the problem, and now we can address it. So please let me, before we move on, say this. What he's talking about, these desires, they can be good desires. In a relationship, in a marriage, the desire to be safe is a God-given desire. The desire to be respected is a God-given desire. The, God, the desire to have someone meet your needs in a marriage, that's a good desire. But what can happen is if those desires aren't met, and there is a time to confront the other person there is a time to sometimes step back from the other person if they're abusive or whatever it is. But what James is talking, who James is talking about, is the person that they've got whatever the desire, whether the desire, it has grown to the point where the person here is fighting and quarreling. I'm not listening to you. My heels are dug in. I'm not doing anything until you change. And that's where James, who he's writing to, they've got these desires and they're fighting one another. They've doubled down and they're not in a good place. And James, before he tells us, here's how to move to this place, here's the good place, he's going to talk to them about this place and staying in that place. So verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So James is saying, here's the wrong response. Here's the wrong posture. You've gotten to the point, there's in this conflict where you're fighting and quarreling, you've gotten to the point where you stopped asking God. Okay, that's one thing, right? You tried to ask God to help. He didn't seem to help, and the other person's not changing. So you just, in your relationship with God, you're not talking to him. You're not praying. And then James says, or you're talking to God, but it's not like, God, your glory be done. I'm living for you. It's like, God, you need to change that person. And until you do, I'm not doing anything. And so and this is what you need to, we need to understand, is that any relationship problem 
that you have, it's connected to another relationship, and that's your relationship with God. So the biggest issue is not your conflict with your husband, your wife, your friend. The biggest issue is with God. And James says, you're in a place, a bad place, because not only is there fighting and quarreling, but you're not in a good place with God. He goes on in verse 4. You adulterous people. Whoa, that's strong language. What happened to my dearly beloved brothers and sisters? You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? When you are fighting and quarreling, your heels are dug in and you're not moving, you're not listening, and it's my way and you're not doing that, he says that affects your relationship with God. You're betraying him. You're unfaithful to him. And James is using Old Testament language where God, in his grace and mercy, called out a nation to to share the light, the good news, with the other nations. And so he came into a relationship. He describes it as a marriage relationship. And this nation, these people, instead of loving God and loving people, started to go after the gods, foreign gods, idols, things that were more important than the true God. And James is saying, you're going after something in your life that you want so much that it's become more important to you than God. And you've betrayed him. You are, he said. You're a friend of the world. You're just like the world. They're chasing after things that are more important than me. You are doing that as well. The word there, if you notice, uh, that friendship with the world, that word friendship, and then later the word friend, in our day we look at that word and we say, ooh, you know, that's a a pretty strong word. In that day, 2,000 years ago, and in some places around the world today, it's a really strong word. It means to be at home with. He's saying, when you're fighting and quarreling, you're acting like the world you're at home with. You're just like hanging out with the world. That's the way the world does it. That's not the way you're to do it because you've got a relationship with God. What exactly were they doing in their fighting and quarreling? Uh, Scroll down to verses 11 and 12. Brothers and sisters, okay, he's talking to Christians, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. The word slander means to denigrate. And the word, it's a Greek word that actually is broader than just slander. It, it, it has the sense of hurting, attacking, harming. So there were Christians who were attacking other Christians, saying other things against those Christians. And in fact, they were judging other Christians. Now, we as Christians, we need to be discerning uh, with one another. And if we see someone wandering from God, we're to call them back with a gentle spirit because we love that person and we want them to come back to God. That's not what James is talking about here. He's talking about people that are attacking one another, that Christians were fighting and accusing each other. And we can say, too, we can fight and attack the world that's out there. James says, when you do that, You're not just speaking against that person and judging them. You're speaking against the law and judging it. What's the law? Someone's to say to you, what's the law in the Bible? There's so many laws. Well, the law is simply, it's one. Love God, love people. 
And James is saying, when you are denigrating and attacking people, you are speaking against the law. You're actually speaking against the law giver. You're actually judging the law. You are saying to God, God, I know I shouldn't respond this way. I know I shouldn't act this way, but you just don't know the whole situation. You don't know that person. You don't know that group. You've got to realize that we've got to do something. I've got to do something. And when I do that, I'm judging. I'm speaking against God. I'm committing adultery. I want to pause for a moment and remind us here at Woodside in our church family as Christians that this is a high standard that God is calling us to because it is so easy when we look at visible conflict all around us, not just in the news, not just out in the streets, not just in the workplace, but especially on social media. I mean, mockery and ridicule and denigration, slander. I mean, it lives on Twitter. Someone was just telling me yesterday about Twitter and, and how bad it was, right? What can happen is, as followers of Jesus, we can see that normalizing us, that I'm at home with that response as well. On social media and in our world, what's the response of people when there's conflict? They get angry, and their anger bosses them around, and they get outraged, and they have this, like this, um, kind of a hair trigger intolerance if anybody disagrees with them. You've offended me. I'm mad. And then what happens? That anger results in disrespectful speech. You are this. You are that. You are worthless. There's non-Christians on social media who've gotten off and said, I can't deal, deal with it. There's, there's too much hate out there. And not just from trolls, but from just from people. Anger, disrespect, mockery, ridicule, contempt, self-righteousness, right? I'm better than you. Our group is better than your group. You are this. You are that. And James says when you do that, when you're, you're copying, you're at home with the world. That's the way the world does it. Don't do that. And so I just want to say to, to us here, and by the way, love of controversy is not of God. Okay, there's things that are controversial and we need to have strong language, we need to stand. But we're not loving controversy, we're caught up, us, them, let's win the battle. That's not of God. So Woodside, here's a reminder to us that being theologically correct does not give us the right to be mean. Defending biblical truth, and by the way, if you are new to Woodside, we stand on God's word. We're not moving because it's the best thing for us and for people. We, we're defending biblical truth, but that does not mean it's okay to mock a person we disagree with. Theology properly understood always produces a life of love. Theology that leads to mocking and ridicule, that's bad theology. The one we're following was full of truth and grace. And when we stand and we double down and we say it's the truth and we're mean to people, 
as Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, you've got something else masquerading as truth because truth is always connected to grace. And if we're on this side and we're just like, you know what, we just love people and it doesn't matter what the Bible says and, you know, this and that, that that's not really grace. That's not really love because truth and love are always connected. So James writes to these Christians fighting and quarreling. He's saying, you're acting like the world. Then he goes on to ask this question. There is only one lawgiver and judge, God, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? To paraphrase James, who do you think you are? There is no place for mockery and ridicule as a follower of Jesus. And we can so easily get comfortable with that response. Now, how many of us, let me say it this way, is it time now that we just close this sermon with a word of prayer? I mean, that's bad news, right? Because I think all of us at one time or another, we failed. But there's a God who is a God of grace, and there's always hope to change. So there's the wrong place, the wrong response. Here is the right response, the right posture. Verse 6, but he, but God. As you read your Bibles, but God, but God. It's because he's such a God of grace. But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, he's referencing Proverbs, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. There's hope because God not only wants to forgive us of our sins, but he wants to free us from our sins. But as long as we're proud and we're in this place and saying, I, God, thank you, you don't know my situation, as long as I resist him, he has to resist me because he'd be less than God. He's God, we're not. But if I say, God, I'm surrendering my pride and I am going to humble myself, God will begin to show favor and if you're new to Christianity or you're, you're kind of investigating, what's God like? I believe in a God. If you go to Exodus 34, verse 6 in your Bibles, you get the best de- definition really of God because it's used throughout Scripture. And God speaks to Moses. He declares this with Moses. And he says, Moses, when people ask you who I am, and I think maybe God's whispered to him, hey, Moses, in about 1,400, 1,500 years, I'm going to... Um, I'm going to come myself to the world and I'll show people who I am. Uh, But until that day, could you put this on Twitter, on my homepage? Could you put this on Instagram, my homepage, Facebook page? The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the personal God, the personal God is compassionate and gracious. The Lord, his heart is for people. The Lord, he wants to give grace to people and more grace. Slow to anger. He's patient with people. Oh, he wants a relationship with people. He's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He is infinitely loving and infinitely faithful. Moses let the people know that. That's the God. Now, God, because he is God, he also says in Exodus 34 that he has to judge sin. He cannot let sin go unpunished. I mean, if he did, he wouldn't be a God who loves. So he has to judge. He doesn't want to judge. That's the story of Jesus being judged on our behalf but he's a God who gives grace. He shows favor to the humble if we will lay down. So are you in this place, proud, or this place, you're humble? Um, 
not too long ago, my wife and I went to my mother-in-law's and um, her car, it was a Toyota Camry. Those things, they hardly ever die, right? They're like, this car was like 20 years old. And it had been in her driveway for about three uh, years, hadn't moved. And, you know, I tried my booster cables a couple times. This, can I say in church, baby? This baby's dead. It's not going anywhere. Okay. So we decided to call one of those companies that would come and take your car and pay some cash and, uh, you know, take the car away. So we called, and this guy, it was a two, uh, Friday night. He was stuck in Toronto traffic and, and apologized for being late. But he got there, and it was, like, late at night, and it was dark. And you saw this big rig coming, you know, the big truck with the, the uh, trailer behind it, and it was big, it was bright, lights everywhere, it was loud. Like, I mean, it just, like... I'm thinking it woke up everybody, you know, in the city, but it was so loud. And he comes, pulls up, and I explained the problem and popped the hood. And I said, you know, it's just that there's nothing, you know, that's it. He says, oh, just a sec. So he goes back to the truck, gets his cables. He doesn't even attach his cables to, like, his truck. He just got these ca cables. What do you think happens? Boom, car starts up, right? And I said to my wife after, this is a little side note, I said, I just got to go to the circus for free. This guy comes and he takes the cables, he puts them on the, on the engine, it's dark out, okay, he's got the hood up, leaves the cables there, backs the car out down this like narrow driveway, and then with the hood up, cables still in there, he drives up the trailer uh, in the middle of the night, like just right up. I'm like, this is wild, <laughs> it was awesome. But here's the point. I thought that car was dead. And as long as I, in my pride, would say, I'm going to, th these things are going to work, nothing's happening. But when I, when you, when we say, you know what, that doesn't work, maybe there's another way, and we say, God, I'm done being proud, I want to do it your way, God can work. Especially when he's got two people that both will humble themselves. They will lay themselves under his authority. And that's what James now shares with us. Here's the right posture. If we're in this bad place, here's the good place. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God. God wants to, his favor to be on you. Did you know that God wants his favor to be on you? So submit yourselves. It's a military term, which means to come under. It's not passive, it's active. I'm saying, okay, God, I'm done doing it my way. I'm going to do it your way. You submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James believed in a devil because Jesus believed in a devil. And when we do the math, we look around at all the evil in the world. It doesn't add up just humans doing evil. There's something else going on. And James says, you have the power to resist the evil one. You have the power to stop being angry. You have the power to stop being resentful. You have the power to stop being proud. Resist him, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Like the prodigal son, turn around, because the arms of the Father are open wide. Wash your hands. All, all of your bad words, all of your attacking all of your wrong actions. Wash yourselves, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Ask God to give you a new heart, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. 
No, God doesn't want us as Christians to go around full of gloom and never laugh. No, it's just the opposite. He's a God of joy. Jesus has a sense of humor. It's good. It's good for your heart to laugh. What he's saying is, don't laugh at the wrong things. You're laughing at sin. You're laughing at the response that you're laughing at people. You're attacking people. You ought not to be laughing. You ought to be wailing. You ought to be mourning. You ought to be repenting of that. And as I was writing, you know, thinking this week of of this passage, there are Christian leaders who have a good theology, and they're out attacking other Christians. They're attacking people. I was like, Lord, really, I wanted to say, Lord, please email them. Get James to email them. James 4, 11 and 12. God, just would you send that email to this pastor and that pastor? The problem is with that is that I'd be getting a lot of emails in my inbox too for other things, right? But that's the reality. That's not for you. This is for you. This is the right posture. And notice in all of that turning, it's the language of relationship. Because James wants us to know the conflict we're having with the other person isn't our biggest issue. It's our relationship with God, and He wants to work in our hearts. If you, by faith, will say, God, I want to humble myself before you. I want to submit to you. He can work. And I want to share this from my uh, marriage uh, to my wife, Lisa, but it's a posture that I want to bring to all my relationships. And I share this at the beginning of the series. In our 30 years of marriage, uh, we had quite a bit of conflict over the years, and we had a certain way of dealing with it. But we have moved from relational conflict to relational harmony. It's minimized, and uh, we get through it so much easier and so much better. But we had to do what James is talking about here. We had to diagnose what was going on in her heart, what was going on in my heart. We had to have this self-awareness of what are my needs, what are her needs, what's her personality, what's my personality, what's her gender, what's my gender, what's her background, what's my background, all of those things, because then we were able to say, okay, here's what I want, and here's what you want. I've come to realize over time, and we've come to realize, Uh, the truth of one particular study that said about 70% of what couples fight over or in conflict over are repetitive. In other words, you're you're in battle over those same few things, and that was true in our relationship. So we had to address those, diagnose those. The other thing is that through all of that, we realized we were different. We're different. We came to this, and this was a light bulb moment for me, when I came to understand better my wife and she understood me, this is a light bulb moment. The things that, some of the things that she was doing and her responses, she wasn't doing them because she was trying to get at me. That's who she was. And the things that I was doing, that kind of rubbed her the wrong way. That's kind of who I was. And neither of us were sinning. Neither of us were bad. We were just wired differently. And so I wanted this, she wanted, and, okay, so we had to, to work through all of that. But it's one thing to diagnose a problem. It's another thing to submit to God. It's one thing for a person to say, here's what I want. Another person to say, here's what I want. It's another thing to bring those two wants and say, God, what do you want for our relationship? And both of us have a growth mindset We don't have a fixed mindset where we say, this is just the way I am. I'm not changing. And by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
you're called to a growth mindset. You ought to be changing till the day you die. Wisdom leads to humility. Humility is the posture of a learner that says, I still want to learn, and I'm still in that process. In fact, last night, I said this in the first service, and it wasn't in my notes, but last night, Saturday night, as a pastor, I typically like to relax, watch the hockey game. There's also baseball on. But my wife earlier had said, hey, there's a podcast I want you to listen to. Saturday night. <laughs> podcast? Kind of how long is it? Okay, how about I listen to the first part during this time? And so I did. Now, help me say this, help me to get this properly. There were two women talking about marriage on the podcast. And I was listening. And I was learning. Because I want a good marriage to my wife. Men, I will tell you, you may think sticking your heels in and doing it your way and it doesn't go anywhere good. But if you will let God boost your marriage, you will start saying, okay, I'm going to do this. Now, I'm not doing that every Saturday night, just for the record. Right? <laughs> I just, I'm not, sorry. That was a one-off. But the, the, it's still that same mindset. It's what does God want for us? And we need to understand two people different and God uses their differences. Sometimes God uses conflict to make us more like his son Jesus so that we're growing in our relationship with him. If you've got a friend, if your parent, whatever the conflict is, are you diagnosing here's what I want or here's what they want and then will you submit to God? Will you say, God, I want to do it your way. And I will say too that this whole posture of doing it God's way means that you listen. James earlier, when he's talking about relationships, if you haven't listened to message one, it's key. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And so in our relationship, we've had to learn that as we've been diagnosing, quick to listen, which means for me, I didn't literally get duct tape, but I recommend it for men in particular, where I would listen and not be defensive, and I wouldn't interrupt my wife while she was talking to me about how she thought, saw things. But then, when I talked, she would listen, and not just listen to reply, but listen to understand. So we're able to work through conflict towards harmony, and slow to, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If we feel that one of us is getting a little angry. We take a time out. We'll come back to this. Okay, let's just park it for now so we're not in the heat of the moment. But I will tell you, when you have two people that are willing to do that, it's not complicated. You can work through conflict to harmony. And so James uh, closes with this in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. If you adopt that posture to all your relationships where, Lord, I want to humble myself. I'm not doing it my way. I'm going to do it your way. He will lift you up. That's a promise. You may see it in a couple months. Man, you just, there's something different about you and your relationship's changing with so-and-so. You may see it in a couple months. You may see it in a year or you may see it in eternity. There may not be any change from the other person, but God has promised he will always honor your obedience. When you humble yourself, God will lift you up. James was the brother of Jesus who said there's coming a day, it's the day of great reversal when Jesus comes, second coming. Those who are proud will be brought low. Those who are low 
will be exalted, will be lifted up. And James, when he wrote this, had in mind, he could see the picture, I'm sure, of his brother hanging on the cross. Here was Jesus hanging on the cross. Philippians 2, he went as low as he could go. But that wasn't the end of the story with God. He was then, three days later, exalted to the highest place, that every name, every knee is going to bow before him one day. And James says, you know what God the Father did for Jesus? He's going to do for you. When you humble yourself in a world where people aren't humbling themselves, people are fighting and quarreling, when you do that, you're going to be rewarded someday, sometime. Write it down. It's a promise. So I want to ask you now, are you willing to humble yourself before God and do it his way. And maybe this week, it's a diagno- uh, you need to use a diagnostic tool and ask the questions, what's going on, what's the problem, that it's simple, you're not getting your way, what is it, and then what's the right response. And if you need to reach out here at the church, we have a congregational support ministry, or there's a, maybe in your life group someone, but reach out because God wants to work. Two people, God can really work. One person, God will still work in your heart so you won't go through life with anger and resentment and pride and bitterness. So bring a humble posture to all your relationships. With the worship team, they're going to come and lead us in a couple songs, but before they do, I'm going to invite you now, uh, if you'd like, to bow your head. And is there somebody that God's been bringing to mind this morning as we've been uh, talking? Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's someone at school. Maybe it's a group. Would you ask God, God, thank you. You're a God of grace. I want to move from this place to the good place, to your place. Would you ask him to help you?